You're listening to Chicago's Gospel Podcast, a show exploring how the unchanging gospel of Jesus Christ shapes your life in an ever-changing city. I'm Eric Vicker. And I'm Willie P. Willie P., Pastor Willie P. And today on the show, Pastor Will, we are talking at least uh, what our current title is, Jeremiah's Vision for Exiles. That could very well be uh, a different title than what's on your podcast feed once this is released. But Jeremiah's Vision for Exiles, uh, this assumes quite a bit of back knowledge, context as to why we might do an episode on the prophet Jeremiah, about his vision, about what are these things that we call exiles. But before we get there, Pastor Will, longtime resident of Chicago, there are a lot of famous uh, roads, streets, places to visit or drive through in this city. What's your favorite street in Chicago and why? The Kennedy Expressway. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, the Eisenhower, even better. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. yeah, those are the ones that the top 10 to hate. <laughs> yeah. Mine is relatively unknown. Uh, I'm going to give two. Uh, an honorary one is uh, Haddon Street. Okay. Because uh, Haddon runs east-west, I'm pretty sure. Um, by uh, what, south of Division or right near Division? Because that's my kid's name. <laughs> so when we discovered that, that was just became a favorite. Yeah. But honestly, it's the, um, it's the north-south street called Natoma. Mm, why? Because the 5,000 block of North Natoma is in Chicago is where the gospel came to the Pareja family Amen. in the early 1980s. Yeah. And it was there that it the, things were starting to click, and God was calling my mom first, my dad, wow. eventually me. Praise God! And uh, in His strange providence, yeah. we are soon. My family now is soon to uh, relocate to that very same neighborhood. Mm. I'll be minutes walking away yeah. uh, from that, so it holds a special place in my heart. I've even done a little turkey run one one year. Uh, I, I ran from our Jefferson Park house to that house uh, on a Thanksgiving just to get some exercise and get some perspective. It's good. How about you? I know what your answer is, but... Yeah. Uh, You gave two, I'll give two. Okay. In second place, Wrightwood, which is a east-west street. It's a gorgeous street that runs through Lincoln Park and over all the way to the lake, essentially, before you hit the lakefront. Uh, Just a... A unique street, beautiful homes. I love Chicago architecture. Uh, so you've got such a nice variety of homes and restaurants and stuff. On oh, that even goes like when we lived in Logan Square. It's yeah, just it goes, like the, yeah. that's a that's a great one. It's quiet too. It's one of those streets that wow. you know a lot of people don't know about. So Wrightwood is great. My my favorite street is uh, Damon North South runs pretty close to the church. Yeah, runs very close to my house. Um, I I don't know what it is about Damon. I mean, I could give a couple factors, but I've always been enamored with it. I think it's uh, just an accessible street. There are a lot of stoplights, stop signs, stuff like that, but it runs through so many great neighborhoods in Chicago, and it's lined with trees all the way up and down, and uh, they're just beautiful flats, three, four flats all the way up and down. So uh, something about Damon, I love it. I always will. Uh, I think it's got a bike lane and everything, so yeah, uh, 
What's the longest friendly? the stretch of it that you've been on? Have you been on the whole? I don't know how far north and south it runs. My guess is pretty far, but yeah, at least to yeah. Foster, and I think definitely past uh, Englewood, and it might go even further. Yeah, you need to take a like a full trip on Damon. It's full of amazing street art too, which I'm a sucker for. So that's great. Chicago, beautiful streets, beautiful place to live. Jeremiah lived in a place that he probably didn't think was, uh, well, he was, he was writing to a people who would shortly all be living in a place that they probably did not find the most beautiful place in the world. And that was a place called Babylon. Now, why is it noteworthy to consider a people called Israel living in a land called Babylon? Because... Israel, long story short, Israel disobeyed God, and after much patience, and after God had promised, hundreds and hundreds of years later, God said you would lose your land if you don't obey me. You'd lose your city, you'd lose your temple. Mm. So as at Jerusalem being that symbol of pride uh, for any Israelite, um, they they lost it. They were exiled out of their nation, um, and a few were left behind. Yeah, um, but most of them gone to Babylon. Jeremiah was one of those that God had chosen to leave behind with the the remnant there. Yeah, um, and so now he's in a sense mourning that loss and lamentations and yeah. reflecting on that. And even when the people were in Israel proper, was that their ultimate and their final destination. No, that's not in Babylon, you mean? Both in Babylon and when they're experiencing a relative measure of flourishing in Israel. No, that was not the final place. What was? It would be the new Jerusalem. And that is, it is prophesied yeah. in the Old Testament. You know, that, and that's the irony. It's kind of the glory of, you know, of Zion, if you will, the high place of Israel, that there was a city to come <laughs> that would eclipse the ultimate city that they thought was, yeah. you know, Jerusalem, old Jerusalem. So even David, who lives in Jerusalem for a majority of his life. We still find him praying, even in Psalm 39, that he feels like a, a sojourner in the land of promise, in the land of fulfillment. Mm. So even when everything seems to be going according to plan, there are quite a few hints that this was actually not the ultimate, the ultimate land for the people. Right. Now, that's important for what we're about to talk about which is Jeremiah's vision for exiles in Babylon, because we might be tempted to think of Jeremiah's words exclusively in an earthly-centered way. Mm -hmm. So if they were not in Babylon, then they would not be exiles. Well, yes and no. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't be exiles to the same extent. This is clearly not the land of promise. But even if they're in Israel, there's still an aspect of exile 
that we are not where we're supposed to be. This world is not the way it's supposed to be. Our life with God is not the way it's supposed to be, even at its best moments. So words for exiles in Babylon, though we're not just going to make a one-to-one correlation to all people in all places uh, for all time, there is a there is an overlap. Would you agree that there's an overlap even for people living in Jerusalem or, for our purposes, people living in Chicago? Certainly. And one of the things we may not have even considered in planning for this is that um, there were, if we can use the word aliens, and they use that in immigration talk, there are aliens who are living in Israel. Mm. So they, they had come from the outside. They were foreigners yeah. and had come and made Israel or Jerusalem their home. Yeah. So it's like, like a two-way thing. So Israel had them living with them, and then Israel knew what it was like yes. to live both in Egypt. Right. That's right? a great point both in Egypt before the promised land and after losing the promised land. Yeah. So they had this history of sort of being sojourners. Um, and, and it is a theme, a solid theme in the whole Bible. I shouldn't say the whole Bible, but it does pervade a lot of it, of being having like this alien, stranger, yeah. sojourner identity. Right. So all things in this life under God's sovereign rule and reign are designed to actually capture our hearts for heaven. So the terrible things, we obviously look at those and we're like, that's not the way it's supposed to be. I can't wait to be with Christ in heaven. But the best things as a appetizer of the life to come are actually designed to do the same thing, which is like, wow, if, if this is the joy that's associated with flourishing life under God's sovereignty, then how much more glorious is is the new creation going to be? Yeah, and it just it just dawned on me thinking about this that, um, and I haven't done the I haven't looked at this, but the description of of Eden and the description of the new Eden, new heavens, takes up probably about the same amount of ink in the Bible. Mm. I have never really put that together. So it's a, it, we're sort of left to our imaginations. But then all, all in between that, you have pictures and descriptions of cities. It's, think of when Israel was at its apex under Solomon. There's descriptions there, the temple, the city, descriptions of Babylon yeah. in the book of Daniel. Um, so there were cities that were beautiful right. and, and flourishing and peaked. Uh, but... I would say, too, that Scripture paints the new Jerusalem, the new creation, as something even more desirable than original creation, mm. original Eden. Yeah, better. Better. Well, let, let me read. This is a, a decent length, um, but let me read at least a majority of Jeremiah 29. It's good to hear the Word of God on a podcast. And uh, Don't tune out anymore. Don't tune out. And... Uh, We'll make some commentary along the way, but the reason we're doing this is this is probably one of the clearest texts that God has given us in his word about how we ought to think about our lives in in Chicago, in exile, because that's where we are. We are in exile. So these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, to the priest, 
sorry, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. They didn't want to be there. They went there by force, right? Mm -hmm. So Jeremiah right into the elders. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisha, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And this is what the letter said. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Uh, Let's pause right there. The Lord of hosts. What is that alluding to? God of the armies, the absolutely mighty one. Right. So here's what the all-powerful God, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles whom he has sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. <laughs> what? God sends his people into exile? That, that's the way Jeremiah begins this thing. This is not Babylon's win. This is not Nebuchadnezzar's win. Mm. This is God Almighty's disciplining mercy. To the people of God. Okay. Is it not? Oh, yeah. Yeah. This says, this is what almighty God says. Build houses, verse five, and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. What strikes you there? Sounds fairly normal. Yeah. Like do, that's probably what they did in Israel. Why would you build a house if you're in exile? Don't you just, don't you hope that you're just taking a short vacation? God will bring you back. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I would be like, oh, get me a cheap rent, squat yeah. somewhere. Right. I'll no, live with my no. aunt for a little bit. Yeah. Basically saying, get rooted. Yeah. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. I'm not much of a farmer, but my guess is that you're not going to eat much of that produce until you've patiently cultivated that land for some time. So again, there's a, Long view Hmm. present here. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. Long, long game there, right? Not just you get married, but actually you're going to have kids. And And grandkids. Yeah, grandkids and they should get married here. That they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. That sounds a lot like the beginning of Exodus. Exodus, yeah where the people are flourishing in a place where they should not be flourishing. Isn't that the glory of God that he essentially makes plants grow between the concrete in the, in the last place you'd expect a harvest is where God grows Mm. things. That is good. Verse seven, but seek the welfare, the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord Yahweh on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So Shalom, that all consuming peace of God in this faraway land where God seems to be absent, but you pray to God because is God present in Babylon in exile? Certainly that's what makes him God. Any thoughts here? Yeah, I have to say, it's almost a confession. Uh, Over the years of living here, I've gone back and forth on how I feel Mm. people use and abuse this text, or at least my perception. And I do think sometimes people 
well, I know people, and we have the tendency to take Scripture out of context and co-opt it for our means. But I always thought, like, this is like the the mantra of urban missionaries <laughs> and, like, it's redeem the city. This is your impetus. But I had really never connected it before to the fact that, again, the first Timothy 2 prayers for our officials leads to our flourishing. Mm. It, it almost feels like I'm reading this. So in a sense, the New Testament affirms it's good. something that the Old Testament yep. is saying. So it holds, it carries. Yeah. Crazy how that New Testament and Old Testament are connected. Man. Seek the shalom of the city where I have sent you. God is underscoring once again that he is sovereign over their exile. And by the way, I'm not surprised that there's similar language to Exodus because in a biblical arc, as we think about biblical themes, Exodus and exile do go together, Mm -hmm. biblically speaking. So I'm not surprised with that. But God, I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. So we have several commands so far. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, pray for the city, take wives, multiply. I'm probably missing some others. But this is, I mean, these are helpful marching orders, okay? That's like make the best. (laughs) I mean, maybe it sounds too light. Like make the best, okay, make the best of the situation, but it's God saying this. Yeah. I think they could have prayed, may your will be done in Babylon as it is in heaven. Uh, verse 8, for thus says Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and don't listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So even in, ex- even in Babylon, what do we have? Some of the officials of Old Testament religion went with them and weren't doing their job. Yeah. Why would someone be tempted to prophesy falsely to a people in exile? Oh, I know. It's because they want to make them feel better. Yeah. Let, let's, this is bad. It, it, it's bad, but we don't want to dwell on the bad. Let, let's, let's paste it over. Yeah. Um, and almost reconceive what's really happening. That's good. It's ignoring... It's ignoring the realities. Yeah. When everyone recognizes that things are not the way they're supposed to be, then everyone and their brother and everyone and their mother has a solution for the world, which makes you susceptible to false prophets and to false solutions to the ultimate problem. So even in exile, there is a temptation to listen to false prophets, people who... God has never sent. Yeah. You can almost call them like spiritual placebos. Mm. You know, they they speak reli- the religious ease. Yeah. But there's it's it's hollow, it's empty. Yeah. The effects are nothing. Yeah. But it's on you not to let them deceive you, right? Right. Don't let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams that they dream. It's a lie. They're prophesying in Jesus' name, you know, mm-hmm. in Yahweh's name. Is there any of that in the city of Chicago today? Oh, I think so. I mean, and any of the big cities here in the United States, they're they're relig- as as irreligious and secular as they are. There's still a lot of religion. Yeah, and those who are in the whole Christian side of things, uh, there's a lot of uh, 
falsehood yeah. in the name of Christianity. Yeah. So part of our marching orders, don't just build houses. This is great. Seek its welfare. Don't be deceived. Yeah. Don't believe every prophet out there. Yeah. It's important for Chicagoans to hear today. Verse 10, for thus says Yahweh, when 70 years are completed for ba- for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. 70 years. Yeah, man, if I'm a 47-year-old, which I'm about to be, I'm thinking I'm not going to see that. Right. My, maybe my grandkids. Maybe my kids. So do you just throw in the towel or what do you do if you're 43 and you receive this promise? I, th- I mean, I, I'm like, okay, I got here to this place because I didn't listen. I'm part of a people that didn't listen to God. Well, now he's giving he's making it pretty clear. I think I'm going to make, I'm going to follow God on this one. Yeah. That's what I hope I would do. Right. But I think yeah, this would actually be a divisive issue, whether or not people would like take camps. I think some people would check out and be like, all right, I'm over it. I'm going to die here. God told me, you know, let's yeah. just, let's do it. Or you're a 43 year old. And you think about your kids having kids, and you're thinking two generations down the line that they will be the ones to experience prophetic fulfillment, the word that they're receiving right now, they're going to see, well, they won't see, but someone's going to come see, uh, it's going to come to fruition in 70 years. How does that change your responsibility to both your kids and your grandkids? Well, I think the the holy route is okay, I need to lead, I need to be faithful myself and lead my family. I thought the way you were taking it was going to be, I was thinking the way some people my age and older talk about the America that we're going to leave our children Mm. and and how that becomes divisive just on an American level. Like, you know, we want better for our kids. So what are we going to do? We're going to march, we're going to change policies. And I don't think that's the, that's the solution either. Right. But I think it raises the significance of pass, passing down the uh, mystery of godliness, mm. the gospel of God, not only one generation down, but ensuring that two generations down, they're ready to inherit the land. Because who didn't get to enter the promised land in that Exodus generation Everyone, everyone but <laughs> Joshua and Caleb. Yeah. They weren't ready to inherit they 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 weren't ready to inherit it. Yeah. The next generation had to be ready to inherit the promises that God has made to you know, the current generation, so to speak. And it's not like God here is is making up like new revelation like introducing new ideas. Right. I mean, the prophets are always going back to the word. Yeah, covenant attorneys. Yep. Yeah. Uh, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you uh, back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, for shalom, and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You ever heard that verse before? Before? I have. I, I does saw it, it. Does it ring a little different in this context than how it usually rings, isolated? Yeah, it, it rings a better in context than on a coffee mug or a T-shirt. Yeah. 
I know the plans I have for you after suffering pretty much for 70 years and never feeling like home sweet home is right mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. I know my plans for you. I've got plans for 70 years in exile. And probably when you're dead, your grandkids will have this future and a hope that I'm talking about. Yeah. So if you were a five-year-old that got exiled from from Israel, you lived your whole life in Babylon. Then you potentially came back. Not all of them did, but those who wanted to come back, they came back. 75. You remember the temple, and now there's the second temple being rebuilt, and your emotions are just going wild. And the Bible says, where is it, Ezra? That some of the men, I mean, there was a great crying and shouting of joy and triumph, but some of them wept. Because yeah. this even, even this new plan that God has, it doesn't seem like the old. Right. So the future and a hope. I think there is something earthly here, but is it not ultimately him who resides in that glorious land called heaven? He is their future. He is their hope, regardless if they're 60 and going to die still in Babylon or, yeah, they're five and actually have a, a chance of inheriting the promise. Yes. Emmanuel's land, as the Emmanuel's old hymn sends, yeah. yeah, that sands of time are sinking. Mm. The Lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. Yeah. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you, verse 12. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It's such a great verse. <laughs> Sounds like Matthew 5 mm. or 6, 6, right? Yeah. Uh, Shall love the Lord your God. Well, no, ask. <clears throat> ask, you receive. Seek, find, yeah. knock. Yeah. Same God. Right. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares Yahweh, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Notice the activity of God in all of this. Right. At the beginning, he was the one responsible for putting them in exile. Yeah. I mean, big picture, but now he's the one responsible for bringing them yeah. out yeah. and restoring them. Yeah. God has brought you to Chicago. Which for some people feels like a in, completely invigorating. But if you're, again, if you're the kind of person that we think might be listening to this podcast and hanging on, is that you might <clears throat> think that being in Chicago has been an exile, a kind of less than ideal, not at home, yeah. wanting a home right. somewhere. Yeah. The sovereignty of God is actually so practical. Mm-hmm. It's so practical. You're not here by accident. God That's is right. with you in exile. God has a plan for you beyond exile. This is not your ultimate home, but make it your home temporarily. Yes, yeah, so before you sell your home, friend, um, reconsider, reconsider maybe God has had you here already for a reason. Yeah. And are your reasons for moving and leaving Chicago are they holy? Are they good? Or are you 
are you kind of whitewashing your reasons for giving up on Chicago in the name of God? Yeah. You know, I'm not doubting that some people leave, but maybe you should stay right. and just reconsider your motives and whether or not God is really the one behind it. Yeah. And maybe someone feels sovereignly trapped in Chicago. They've actually tried to get out of here several times, but it just seems that God is blocking their way. You know, these these people in Babylon, these Jews mm. in Babylon, they could not use their Capital One points to take a flight, you know, somewhere else. <laughs> they couldn't get out of this. They They were there. God was keeping them there. God was constraining them there. And uh, maybe you feel similarly. Yeah. And God has not forsaken you. He's not. He, he's, I think part of his keeping his people is, yes, it's ultimate, it's eschatological, but it is present. He, he does keep us in situations. Yeah. And I think Jeremiah 29 is is begging and presenting a mind shift here. Yeah. It's good. Now that you're here, yeah. now I'm going to tell you what flourishing looked like in exile. It's good. Right? Flourishing before, <laughs> under Solomon, it looked like this. Under David, it was great. Yeah. But now, I think God is wanting us to think of what flourishing, human flourishing looks like in a city um, that doesn't seem ideal. Yeah. You're, yeah. And you're flourishing in a circumstance that does not seem ideal glorifies God. I think that's the final word of life in exile is mm-hmm. that as you live under God in exile, you glorify him. So Peter says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So don't give in to all Babylon's temptations. Correct. Amen. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, among the Babylonians, among the Chicagoans honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I believe he's referencing Christ's return. Uh, So that they may see your good deeds, the welfare, the shalom that you're fighting for, or, or seeking yes. to establish and glorify God on the day of visitation. Yeah. I think we approach everything with so much selfishness, like, oh, what can the city do for me? You know, have you ever talked to people, Eric, when, oh, I, you know, you say, I'm from Chicago. Oh, I love going to Chicago. But it's, Chicago is just like this place that, that's probably my mindset on New York or Los Angeles. It's this place I visit. It's a tourist trap. I have fun. I pay to get these services and do these things. Right. Um, but if you're here for work or here for this is where you grew up, um, maybe you, you, you stay. It's, it's yeah. not to be used. It's to be served. It's good. Yeah. So maybe you've never considered yourself a sojourner, an alien, an exile, but if you're a Christian listening to this podcast, you're in exile. You're awaiting home sweet home. So we got to pay attention. We got to start learning how to live as exiles. You live totally different, knowing self-consciously that you're in exile, uh, as you would if you're sort of self-consciously at home sweet home. 
And exile is the best preparation for eternity, mm. for that forever home. Yeah. You're a real estate guy. People talk about, you know, your forever home. Yeah. Your dream home. Well, I don't think so. Yeah. This, if this is your best home, this you're not you're going to be disappointed in the yeah. future. Yeah. Well, may God give us the grace to see Emmanuel's land where Christ resides right now, and to uh, see it by faith, and to live for it by faith in the here and now. Uh, this this is Christ's gospel that we are exiles one day uh, to be at home with Christ. So we appreciate you listening to Chicago's Gospel Podcast, this conversation on Jeremiah's vision for exiles. I feel like we're just barely scraping the surface. Mm-hmm. This too we could come back to someday. We hope in the next few episodes to be looking at case studies of of biblical characters who lived extraordinarily well as exiles, as citizens of heaven on earth. Uh, So we look forward to speaking with you again soon. But if you're benefiting from these conversations, then uh, we invite you to share this episode with a family member or a friend who you too uh, think would benefit from this, whether they're at Addison Street Community Church or not. That's uh, not what's important to us in this uh, podcast, but we just hope to strengthen the church. Um, So... Yeah, feel free to share this. But until next time, just keep always in mind that as an exile, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most powerful and transformative power to shape your life in an ever-changing city. So we look forward to speaking with you next time, and God bless.